God morning, everybody. Y'all doing all right on this blessed God morning? Mm-hmm. If you got your Bibles, we're in Exodus. Exodus chapter 9. Exodus chapter 9. Starting at verse 27. Exodus 9, 27. When you get there, let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you for being God. Please open up our hearts, open up our minds, Father God, to see and to learn and to understand your truth, Father God. And allow us to know you and see you clearly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we've been going on this journey all the way through. We've made it all the way nine chapters into Exodus. We almost one-fifth done, you know. Almost. Yeah. And before we go too far and make sure everything stick, we got to do a review. Make sure we, we, we all on the same page. Make sure we're a church. All right, let's start with just simple, just get the basic story down. This whole thing started when what happened? Start with a promise. A promise to who? Y'all sure y'all just following him? <laughs> huh? We we just review. All right. A promise to who? A promise to Abraham. What was the promise? That he will have a nation. What else? Go ahead and say it. Okay. A nation. A lot of them. They're going to mean they're going to multiply, be like the stars. What else? Huh? The land. What about the land? So they're going to get a land. They got multiplication in a land. How much of that promise have we seen fulfilled? Huh? You said one? One piece? What part? The multiplication. Where did we see the multiplication take place? In Egypt. So they began to multiply in Egypt. And they multiplied to the point where they began to fulfill what part of Genesis? Take us all the way back to the beginning. Put them together. Yes, the, the earth. And we opened up in the books of Exodus saying they began to replant. They began to multiply and fill or replenish or fill up the land. So they began to fulfill what promise or what dictate was given to Adam. And now we're wrestling with the question, is this the second Adam? Is this the fulfillment of what Adam was supposed to be? These descendants of this man who now has a name of what? They're the children of who? Israel. So this brand new nation that's part of a promise from Abraham began to fulfill the dictates or the commands given to Adam to fill up the land and multiply. So the question we're wrestling with, are they the fulfillment of Adam's dictate? Is this the express image of God in full form? But so far, they ain't quite live up to it because they began to go through oppression. And that oppression was a fulfillment of a prophecy to who? Abraham. All right, we, we tracking Abraham. Seemed to be the right answer. So keep saying. <laughs> what was the prophecy given to Abraham? Anybody remember? Let's put it all together. You got 400 years? What's going to happen for 400 years? 
They're going to be strangers and they're going to be what? Afflicted or oppressed. Then what happened after 400 years? Huh? Who going to get judged? The oppressors going to get judged. And what else? They're going to get their land. Y'all sure? That sounds about right. Advanced question. What chapter we learn that from? <laughs> Anybody got a guess? Uh, Genesis 15. <laughs> so that's what we got to set up. So now they're going through the affliction or the oppression. And what we're looking for is the fulfillment or the judgment of the oppressors. Because that's what God promised Abraham was going to happen. But how long he said it was going to take? 400 years. What generation were they going to come out in? The fourth generation. Does that mean a generation is 100 years? Kind of? Yes? No? Maybe so? Seem like it? Huh? We'll come back to that one. So in the fourth generation, after 400 years, they're supposed to come out. But once God gave the promise, the oppression began to multiply. Who was the direct object of the oppression? Nah, that answer don't work no more. <laughs> Who was the direct? The Israelites, all of them? The men. All of the oppression was directed at the men. The men was the one that were being killed as babies. The men was the one that were being put into slavery. So all of the focus was on the men. And then God shows up and he begins to act. And he begins to put out his punishments that we call plagues. How many of them is it? We ain't done yet. We in the middle of them. Uh Uh-oh. How many have we gone through so far? We ain't no church. Y'all got about eight different answers. Seven? All right, who can name them? Uh-huh. Frog, uh-huh. Mice, uh-huh. Flies, yeah. Cattle. Bulls. Yeah. Okay, that's seven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what is the pattern that we saw going through these first seven? All right. So, so far they didn't hold up. We went through two rounds of plagues and we in the beginning of the, the second round of plagues, which would be the last round. So we got three groups of threes, then one that stands alone. So we in our second group of threes and the last plague we left off on was hell, hell all over the place and running upon the ground. And we talked about the severity of God and him bringing his punishments that God don't seem to play. And he stands, and when he stands for something, he, he he go hard. And this brought death, and it just wasn't no show in the air where you see stuff falling out and rains and thundering. People were dying. Fire running along the ground, consuming people. And you see the goodness and the severity of God. Goodness to who? The people who he warned. He warned everybody. And what separated the people who trusted him from the people who didn't trust him? 
the obedience to his word. Because he told them, I'm bringing the hell, I'm bringing the fire, get your people in. And this gave them an opportunity to get right and to not be affected by the judgment that was to come. But there were some people who refused to hear. And this going to take us into the end of this plague, which is Pharaoh's response to it. And it's something very instructive that takes place in these first couple of verses that we got to grab onto. And it teaches us something about sin and righteousness. Now let's just play with that for a minute. Let's, let's take a poll, see if we're at church. When we talk about sin, what does that word mean to you? Disobedience? And God, we do polling. Throw some out. Huh? Doing wrong? Huh? Missing the mark? Okay. Twisted, perversion, evil, the rebellion. Okay, separation from God. So we got all these little different thoughts that come into our mind when we talk about sin. How many of you would identify Pharaoh as a sinner? We got to think about it. Yes, no, maybe so. So Pharaoh's a sinner. We, we, we would say that. Why we say he's a sinner? Huh? Uh oh, somebody gets super deep. He's a sinner because we all sinners. Who a liar told? So he was a liar. What else we got? Huh? Ah, that's that's a deep one right there. Cause we've been going through this book of the law. How many laws we done read? Huh? We read one book out of five, and twenty percent through the other one. How many laws we done read? Okay, we'll put that in the back pocket. So everybody agree, Pharaoh is a sinner. We got because he was a liar. What actions? So being an oppressor. Huh? So being a leader gives you the right to oppress? Go ahead, what you got? So we don't know why Pharaoh is sin. We just stick with Jesse. He's sinner because he's a sinner. We all sin. <laughs> he hated God. Now I ask a different question. Then we'll go on from here. What makes anybody a sinner? Is it just Jesse's answer? Go ahead. So just refusing to, to humble yourself before him. So anybody who's not humble before God, they'll say, huh? Are repentant? Now you added an extra word. We ain't learned that word yet. What that word mean? Okay. Turn it away from what towards what? So that's what we're trying to understand. That's what we're trying to understand. Okay. That's even deeper. So choosing your own righteousness, not humbling yourself before God. Going against God, actively working contrary to what God got going on. Said trusting in yourself. Okay, y'all getting deep now, cause all this stuff taking my mind a whole bunch of different ways. All right, all right, we're gonna play with this. We're gonna put that in the back pocket as we go on. Now, what they got to do with Pharaoh and let my people go? Verse twenty-seven. It said, Pharaoh sent and called for Moses. Now, y'all remember the last thing that happened was the hell coming down 
and everybody was dying and he was still being obstinate. Now at this point he go like, hey, 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 go get that Moses dude. For Moses and Aaron said unto them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and I and my people are wicked. This is his opening statement. Now Pharaoh here called himself a sinner. But he put a timeline on it. Uh, He put a marker on it. I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous. I and my people are wicked. What is he making reference to? Huh? Add it all together. Just think about it. Use your brain a little bit. What is he making reference to? When he I did, I sinned this time. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, because you had a clear cut showdown this time. And he had a chance and an opportunity to save his nation. All it would have taken for Pharaoh to prevent all the death and the chaos that went on was to say, hey, y'all, whatever this Moses and Aaron dude got going on, we can't match it. Send your people in. Even if he refused to let the people go, just to have that humility that something greater than me is going down right here. And if you want to live, don't listen to me. But he stood in stubborn opposition and it was a clear-cut showdown that he lost because it's not just a nuisance anymore. It's not just something that troubles people anymore. And it's not just possessions that are being destroyed. People die because they followed Pharaoh. And he stood in strong opposition. This is a clear-cut. Battle lines are drawn. And his reference he's making reference to is I lost. I thought I could do something. I thought I had a right. I thought I had some power. And it has been clearly shown that I do not have it. I've sinned. The Lord, he is righteous. This is the pattern. This is the way that must be gone. Me and my people, we out of the way. We wicked. And he gives this contextual definition of sin, righteousness, and wickedness. Of we don't match up. To whatever this is we're dealing with. The Lord, that's the way. That's the righteous one. That's the path that everybody needs to be going on. Me and my people, we are wicked. We fall greatly short. And you get this confession and it sounds like Pharaoh is repented. It sounds like his eyes have finally been opened. That what God has been doing is finally working. Because he's been in strong opposition against God. And the crazy thing is, how could you stand in such opposition after all that he's seen? God has showed him over and over and over again. Now, he started off with, yeah, who is this Yahweh? And God has taken him through months of showing him who this Yahweh is. And he still refused to listen. But now at this point, he, he, he's like, okay, I was wrong. This is righteousness. But watch this thing. Moses pull a trick. And he begins to pray, saying, Treat Yahweh, for it is enough that there be no more mighty thunderings in hell, and I will let you go. You shall stay no longer. It's like, I, I can't take it no more. This is it. I, I, I just can't take it. 
please go pray to God, beg to God, plead to God for us, uh, to Yahweh. He's using the name now himself. Like, don't go talk to Yahweh. That he stopped these thunders. He stopped these hells. And I'm not going to hold you here anymore. Sound like good, huh? And Moses said unto him, now watch this now. Moses supposed to be the man of righteousness, the redeemer, the, the deliverer. As soon as I am gone out of the city, I will spread abroad my hands unto Yahweh. And the thunder shall cease, neither shall there be any more hell, that thou mayest know that the earth is the Lord's. That sound cool. How many prayers did Moses say he was going to pray? And here he showed an expression of prayer. And it's something we're going to have to pick up on as we go through the rest of the book. What he said he going to do? Spread abroad his hand. Uh-huh. Yeah, he, he putting the authority on Moses. And Moses represents God to the people. And who is his prophet? Yeah, all right. So Moses go, Pharaoh asks, entreat, plead to the Lord for us. And Moses' response to entreating and pleading to the Lord was to go out the city and do what? Spread out his arms. And that would cause the judgment to do what? I remember that. That's a, that will become a thematic theme in the book. He leaves the city and does what? Spread out his arm and that causes what? The thunders, the hells, the judgment to cease. We're going to come back to that. But, as for the, oh, we skipped the part. We're supposed to pay attention to these. What he going to know? That he is Lord over what now? We're gonna, what do what you think will make him reach that conclusion? He ain't control over it. It stopped. When does it stop? When Moses says it's going to stop. Moto, when I make it out of the city and I stretch out my arm, it's going to stop. And they've been doing the same dance. At this time, this going to stop. You tell me when you want it to stop. To show you that Yahweh is Lord over the earth. He's controlling all these things. And a lot of the attack on this book is people, when you get into it, they try to explain these things naturally. That you get flash storms in, in, in that desert region. Because you got the seas around, and you got the hot air, air in the mixes, and you get flash storms. Not fire running on the ground. <laughs> and you got all these extra people try to explain these things naturally because God purposely used nature to pull off his task. And we're going to see that more and more as we're going on. But he's trying to show you, I control it. Y'all think this on accident that he's utilizing his nature in the way that he's utilizing? How you think it's targeted? He started this thing out judging what? The water of the Nile. And he moved on and he judged the, the, the magicians and bringing the lice and the balls on them. And he been, seemed like it's on purpose. And we're going to talk about that as we go. It's like, you think God got a, 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 something he trying to do? But he's supposed to know that the earth is the Lord's. Said, but as for thee and thy servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord. Now, Moses don't supposed to do that. Y'all modern America, what is he doing? He ain't supposed to do that. What is he doing wrong? According to our ethics and morals, and modern American Christians, what is he doing? 
Yeah. So what y'all call that? Y'all, he judging them. <laughs> Dude, at the altar call. <laughs> he done responded. He got his hand raised up. They done did the silent thing. All heads bow, all eyes closed. And it's time for him to repeat. And Moses said, I know you're lying. <laughs> you ain't come up here to get saved. <laughs> now, if y'all see a video of a preacher doing that on YouTube, how many of y'all think that was a righteous preacher? Somebody come up, they weeping. Come to the altar. I don't know what the new altar song is nowadays. That's it? That's still it? Okay. Folk up there cry. It's like, I see you up here with all these tears. But you don't want to be up here for real. Go sit down. <laughs> Go sit down. You don't care about no salvation. Y'all be like, that dude ain't right. <laughs> How you going to be judging them four hours? I know as soon as you get out the church van and they drop you out, you finna go fornicate. Don't even know why you're up here. But that's the dirty Moses pool. He said, I know that you and your people Y'all don't fear God. And we got this bold statement from Moses, but it's very instructive if we think about it. Because it gives us a picture of where sorrow and expressions of grief are not necessarily the same as repentance. And that's one of the confusions of traditions that the Catholic Church actually messed us up. That's where we get that from. When they translated metanoia, which is repentance, into Latin, they call it penance. So in the Latin translation of the Bible, penance is the words that use for repentance. And penance became to be expressions of grief, expressions of sorrow. And that's how I made it all the way to us. When we say, I repent, that means I'm asking for forgiveness. That's not biblical. Because it's possible to be sorrowful and not to be repentant. And that's what a state that Pharaoh is in now. He understood that he was wrong. He understood that God is great and this is true righteousness and I don't stand a chance. But what he did not do was fear him. And how is it possible for you not to fear somebody who showed you that he controlled all life including death and he can crush you at any moment? How could you do that? Like, what, what can bring somebody to that place where you can see a clear expression of God and it still not lead you to the place where you fear him? Now, don't raise your hand out loud. How many of y'all think we can do that? Don't raise your hand out loud. Don't, don't tell on yourself. Because people in this church ain't never done that before. But that church down now, <laughs> that's what they be doing. <laughs> And this a crazy and amazing thing. And it also gives us some bit of a definition of what it means to fear God. And y'all touched on it when we talked about how do we identify somebody as a sinner. Because in the mind of Moses, this fear is to give up all your will and be willing to do whatever he is he tells you to do. Like I know y'all don't fear God. All you fear is the punishment. 
All you fear is the pain. All you fear is what may go on. You still don't fear Yahweh. And this is a dangerous thing that we have to watch in our own heart. Because the difference is shown and it demonstrated. God gave them a word and told them to do it. And their obstinance and their refusal to do the word was their sinning. But do you think if he gave them another word, would they do it now? And even deeper than that, what would be the motivation for doing it? Would it be a realization that this guy here is the greatest and he deserved to be obeyed? Or could it be that, hey, man, oh, no, I might die this time. <laughs> and that's a heavy thing that we have to be conscious of. And it's something that, that, that disturbs me in my soul because this is how we train our children. We have to be careful of that. Because you, you're not supposed to sleep around. You're not supposed to have sex until you're married. Why? Because you can get AIDS. You can get pregnant. So what are you teaching them to fear? Consequences. And God ain't got nothing to do with it. And we create a moral system that you can take God out of it and it still exists. That means you don't fear God. You're just trying to cultivate good morals. But moral people are not righteous people. And it's possible to be good moral people and have a good standard of ethic and still be unrighteous. Because the greatest ethic there is, is Yahweh first. His will and not mine. Some my mama taught me growing up. I didn't even realize she was teaching me until I, I met God and he showed me that that was a lesson. Y'all mama taught y'all too if you got some good mom. When you get visitors come to the house. And they come in the house and they sit down and they get comfortable and they get to doing whatever y'all doing. Mama walk out the room. Mama walk in and they just keep watching TV. Did they do wrong? They supposed to do what? They supposed to speak. You supposed to acknowledge who? The head of the house. I don't care who you is, where you came from, how long you been in here. If mama show up, you acknowledge her. And that was the thing, like, who these people in my house? Them, them, they, don't, they don't speak? What, like, what type of people are those? <laughs> it's almost like, man, you think you got killers of drug dealers off of me. <laughs> and the only thing they didn't do was speak. And it works the same way with God. How can you live on his universe and not what? That's the greatest sin there is. My mama taught me that. She didn't even realize she taught me that. And that's what we got going on here because these people are trying to escape what now? Judgment. Not trying to acknowledge who Yahweh really is. And that's why Moses said, hey, I know y'all don't fear God. And he go on and he still do what he do. But how did he start the punishment? He did what and lifted up his hand? Went outside the city and lifted up his hand. And the flax and the barley was smitten. So that was the grain that was destroyed by the hail. For the barley was in the ear and the flax was bold. But the wheat and the rye were not smitten for they were not grown up. Now if y'all get deep into agriculture and stuff like that, this, this should help you figure out what time of the year it was. I ain't that deep. We ain't had no grass to see the pot, so I don't, I don't know too much about plants. <laughs> yeah, I probably just had dirt in the front yard. 
like hard dirt that you fall on and cut your knees all up. So if y'all want to figure out what time of year it was, you can figure it out. Because the barley and the flax were smitten, but the wheat and the rye were not smitten, for they were not grown up. But that's instructive to what's coming. It said, Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh, spread abroad his hands unto the Lord, and the thunders and hell ceased, and the rain was not poured upon the earth. And Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hell and the thunders would cease, and he sinned yet more, and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So his sin explained he did what? Hardened his heart. He continued to be obstinate. Who hardened his heart? So we keep going back and forth. Now, let's put it back in our mindset. Let's go back. Way back, we in Bronze Age, Egypt. How many of y'all ready to kill Pharaoh yet? We, we split, we, 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 we got an insurrection yet? Halfway? Are we still down with the king? You still down with him? As an Egyptian, you, you Bronze Age Egyptian. You was a fisherman, now you can't grow no more fish because all the fish died when the river turned into blood. <laughs> the economy is completely wrecked. He ain't giving out no stimulus checks. <laughs> ain't no P-E-B-T. <laughs> you, you down? You ready to kill him? <laughs> By a show of hand, who ready to kill Pharaoh? Okay, we about half and half. Who's still down with Pharaoh? You think you'll be down? You lived in, like I said, Middle Age, Bronze Age, Egypt. You did still down with Pharaoh. Some of them did. So we split. You still down. You roll? Uh huh. So you stuck. So killing me going too far. Assassination we just went through. So some type of overthrow, some type of rebellion. So you moving to go <laughs> change the residence. So we, 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 so we on the borderline. We ain't, we ain't down with Pharaoh completely yet. Y'all ain't ready to kill him. Some of y'all ready to kill him. We plotting assassination. Like we, we making some anthrax or doing something like we, it's over with. But everybody else just on the borderline. The reason I ask that question is because we keep going. Now watch this. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I might shew these my signs before him. Last verse, who hardened his heart? Now this verse, who hardened his heart? Why did he harden his heart? Mm-hmm. Very, very good question. No, I'm, I'm trying to think, do I want to answer it right now? Because we want to play with it some more. Because it's going to get worse as we keep going. But the translation is not wrong. That is both and. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And we see here a, a, a slightly different perspective of humanity and decisions in life than we're used to. Because the way the story has always been presented to us uh, the way theology has always been presented to us is you have one or the other option and you pick a team. What are the options? God does everything and we just some type of automatons that move through this universe at his whim. Or uh, the other option is 
we pick and choose and we free to do whatever we want to. And God is just up there playing whack-a-mole. And he's just responding. He's waiting on stuff to happen. Like, ooh, okay, boom, that sin right there. Oh, I missed that sin. I'm going to get it next time. Watch it come. That's the, that's the present, presentation of the universe that we have. But as we've been going through this thing, we see a slightly different picture. And the Bible presents both of them together, but they don't stumble. Because you even saw it with the Joseph story. It's like, y'all sold me into slavery. and Y'all were trying to do evil to me. God sent me here. It's like, which one happened? Y'all sold me and God sent me here. Which act was which? So did y'all sell me, then God sent me here? No, y'all selling me here. What's God sending me here? And he's not confused about it. And the Bible don't seem to give any explanation or to try to make it make sense. And it creates this complex universe where there is volition on our part. But there is control and movement on God's part. And as we go through it and get through more and more of these tricky parts of the stories that get it, we're going to try to unravel it a little bit. So I want to leave the mystery up there. But what I would say is the black and white options that we've been presented ever since our brother from North Africa, I think they got a little wrong. That it's a little more nuanced. And the crazy thing is, is you don't see this question really being that confusing up until that point. Now you go off in early history, even reading Jewish stuff, they don't seem to have a problem with this. We got a problem with it. And we the ones who don't seem to be able to figure out how this works. The fact that God can do something and choose an act and seem like he can control the will of man and that people can do stuff and be held responsible because it seems like they have freedom of will. And that both of them can be true and that the Bible can say both things right there one verse after the other. Y'all think Moses forgot what he wrote? I wrote that down. Like, dog. Like, Aaron, her, how you missed that? <laughs> so it, it's something in the mystery. But what we can emphatically say is that you can make a decision and you're responsible for your decision. God makes decisions that can transcend your decision and can utilize your decision to accomplish his will. That's all we can say right now. And be biblically correct. Y'all got it? And they don't have to be two different decisions. Your deciding could be your decision that God's decision and they all work in hand, but you're responsible for the part that you play. And God going to accomplish what he wants through despite the part that you play. Go ahead. I will take the can off because he demonstrated and showed us that he can do stuff without us. But he set this world up. He gave it to who? That's the way he set it up. Says God, the heavens of heavens belongs to the Lord, but the earth have he given to the sons of man. That verse has to mean something. And even when we've been through Genesis, he gave who dominion down here? He gave Adam, which was the head of all humanity. So dominion belongs to the inheritors of Adam. God set it up that way. So why he chooses to utilize us in his plans, we have no idea. But he's shown us that he can do stuff without us. And we've seen that. Because there was absolutely nothing that humanity had to do with, one, the destruction of the earth. When he brought that punishment, he didn't use Noah. He could have. 
He could have sent Noah and his sons as vigilantes to destroy everybody. He did that before. Sodom and Gomorrah, he didn't use Abraham. We just saw Abraham fight a battle a little bit before that. So he had the ability to go and defeat a nation. God told him, you sit here and watch. Abraham sat on the mountain and watched the smoke arise. So we see these things where God can and he does act independently. But for some reason, he set this whole thing up where he get us involved. And I think a part of it, as we're going to see as we go forward, is he like to show out. He like, he want people to know who he is because that's what he keep telling you. I did this and he just said it so you can what? Know who I am. I'm going to show my signs through you. And it's going to get a little deeper even as we go. I heard a story about uh, Michael Jordan. Say so he met a dude, dude playing. He went back to North Carolina. And he's just going down the road. Hey, how you doing? I'm this and that and that. And everybody, hey, it's Mike. Said so one little dude at the end wanted to play. It's like, hey, my name is such and such. Who are you? And Mike, like, uh, where you from? It's like, I'm from Africa. It's like, oh, they don't show much basketball in Africa, dude. It's like, yeah, we got a little bit. It's like, okay, I'm Michael Jordan. And he walked off. Dude's like, by the way, Hakeem Olajuwon is the greatest basketball player ever. Now, according to the story, Mike immediately went and took his suit off. And he went to Coach Dean Smith and said, hey, give me everybody who's not going to make the team. And line up your starting five. And we finna play. And according to the story, he took them five who were about to get, the four who were about to get cut, and scrubbed them cats. Told them, bring out your second team. Scrubbed them cats. But he did it that way on purpose, because leading that thing, Every time he see that dude according to the story, he want him to recognize how I'm Michael Jordan. <laughs> it is to show out. So we take that what seems like it does not fit to demonstrate I got all the power. And God is stunning on Egypt. Call him Eva Knieva right now. And he pull us into this thing. Let's let keep going. We're getting get this. A good question. We're going to keep wrestling with that. And in verse 2 at 10, it says, That thou mayest tell in the ears of thy sons and of thy sons' sons what things I have wrought in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them, that they may know how that went. He want them to know. I'm Yahweh. So he's saying, I'm hardening Pharaoh's heart. I'm going through all this thing to demonstrate my signs and a part of it is training who? The generations. So God does things and he does miraculous things so you can tell your children. And he's giving them instruction. So the stuff that go on today, you talk to your children about. It. How many of y'all think we should be doing that? Tell them. And even tell them about your own stories. Don't be ashamed to tell your children how big of a fool you are. But don't do like some of the Christian rappers do. Like you spend four verses talking about how you was slanging dope and all that. Then at the end, like, but geez, I'm saying nah, seeing is whack. Talk about God <laughs> and his deliverance. And you tell your children. How times will you tell them your testimony? Well, y'all riding down the road and you pass places. You be like, hey, you know, you know your mama used to hang out over there in this time, but God saved on that. Tell them. Tell them about when you, when the commercial come on and you see the liquor. You say, you know your mama was a drunk. 
And there were times when she couldn't even remember her name. <laughs> yeah, but you tell them, speak of it, and this should be a part of our upbringing and how we bring up our kids. Sit down and talk to your children. Tell them about what's going, what happened in your life, and what God did. That's why we learn these things. So the Moses and Aaron came unto Pharaoh and said unto him, Thus said the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long would thou refuse to humble myself before thee? Let my people go that they may what? Service is another word for what now? Else if thou will refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring the locusts into thy coast. So he's going to bring the locusts. And they shall cover the face of the earth that one cannot see the earth. And they shall eat the residue of that which escaped, which remained unto you from the hill, and from and eat every tree which grew up for you out of the field. So what escaped from the hill? The wheat and the rye or millet, or we don't know what that was. And so the locust gonna come and eat the rest of it. Now just think about that. How many of y'all you ever seen locusts before? Never seen? The big old fat looking grasshopper like thing? It, it like some oversized grasshopper. Super huge. Huh? Yeah, we don't get a lot over here. Now imagine this. There's so many locusts show up, you can't see the ground. Now that's what he said going to happen. Now, I'm going to bring the locusts, and they're going to cover the earth. This, that's just amazing, now. Huh? Now, I've been around some of y'all, and I know how y'all think about bugs. Just imagine walking out your front door, and the ground is black. And you can't tell asphalt from grass, because all of it black. And it's just locusts, bugs, it's down there. Yeah, everywhere you walk, you go. <laughs> and this is the last little hope of crop you got, because all the rest of it been burned. And now they eating it. How many of y'all already killed Pharaoh yet? Because the economy is wrecked. There's, there's nothing. We ain't got nothing going on right now. Kidnapping? You ready to impeach? Man, ain't no voting, man. <laughs> <laughs> ain't no Democratic Republic. <laughs> It said, and they shall fill also thy houses in the houses of thy servants and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither thy fathers nor thy father's fathers have seen since the day that they were upon the earth unto this day. And he turned himself and went out from Pharaoh. So locusts going to be everywhere. So your carpet going to be locusts. Ain't even nothing in there to eat. And they still going to be in there. Y'all still ain't ready to get rid of Pharaoh. Said Pharaoh's servant said unto him, verse 7, How long shall this man be a snare unto us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Knowest thou not yet that Egypt is destroyed? They like, Hold up, Pharaoh. And they spoke up, and it's very beautiful and poetic, because they echoed the words of Moses. Because Moses asked him, how long will you resist? And they tell him, how long are you going to let this dude... <laughs> Trip us up. He's destroying our lives. How long are you going to keep this going? So the people are done with Pharaoh. They ain't done with the king no more. And Pharaoh, in his obstinance, does a very humble act. 
And in verse 8, it said, Moses and Aaron were brought again unto Pharaoh. Now, the question I always have to ask when I read that, did Pharaoh call for them or did the folk bring them back? Now, that's all it said. Moses and Aaron were brought again. And the last thing we heard with the people, like, how long are you going to be doing this, bro? Like, <laughs> so Moses and Aaron come back. Now, hold on, bro. Don't leave. Don't leave. Just hold on. Let her talk to him. Don't go nowhere. Just stay right here. We're going to tell you. Come back. Now, Pharaoh can let y'all go. And he said unto them, go serve the Lord your God. But who are they that that shall go? So now you ask the question. All right, y'all can go, but who, who all going? And Moses said, we will go with our young and with our old, with our sons and with our daughters, with our flocks and with our herds will we go, for we must hold a feast unto the Lord. And he said unto them, let the Lord be so with you, as I will let you go. Your little ones look to it, for evil is before you. So he's still a little upset. He ain't going for it. And he's passively relenting. Like Yahweh, he better be with you. And here we get a strange play on word where we talk about translation that come into play. Because it's an evil, I mean that 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 construction of evil and what we see to where if you go back and read, is you have a lot of borrowing loan words throughout this book of Exodus, because they were living well in Egypt. So we have a lot of Egyptian words in here. Now it's just a question to throw out there. When he said Yahweh needs to be with you. Because evil is upon you. The Hebrew word for evil is ra. Will sound like what Egyptian word? Ra. So is he setting it up? Like, okay, y'all think y'all got away. You think you finna go. But your Yahweh better go with you because ra is on you. Or is he saying y'all going to some bad or something calamitous? And it's this strange play on words there that, that, that set this whole thing up. Because Ra is supposed to be the great God of Egypt. Where Ra been so far? Now he's taking a rest. <laughs> he took a vacation for a couple months. It's almost springtime, so Ra finna come back. <laughs> and that's what it seems like. You just got that play there. That evil is upon you, so y'all go. Go on out there. You better, Yahweh better go with you. Not so. Go now ye that are men. And he recants and he go back. Like everybody ain't going. Only the grown men. Let them go. And serve the Lord. For that you did desire. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. So Pharaoh. Is he humble yet? So y'all can go. Ain't nobody going but the men. Matter of fact get out. Moses said, everybody going, including our stuff. Pharaoh said, only the grown men going and get out. This brother hard-headed. And the Lord said unto Moses, stretch out thy hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts that they may come upon the land of Egypt that and eat every herb of the land, even all that the hell hath left. And Moses stretched forth his rod over the land of Egypt. And the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day. And all that night, and when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. So he hard-headed. He did not heed the warning, and God brought the locusts. How did God bring the locusts? With the wind. Y'all think it was just going to happen, and Moses just picked the right time? 
He read the Egyptian almanac. <laughs> almanac tell you weather patterns, weather patterns. So he knew that the wind was going to come and it was time of the season for the locusts to come. So he prophesied and just put on. Yeah. He like, the locust go come? Because it was time. Yeah. <laughs> That's what some people go tell you happened here. Because he brought them using the what? The east wind. He blew them down in there. And said, and the locusts went up all over the land of Egypt and rested in all the coasts of Egypt. Very grievous were they. Before them, there were no such locusts as they. Neither after them shall be such. Like this is a locust plague that it ever going to be. And you just want to see one. Go and get your fancy phone and Google the locust plague that happened a couple of years ago. I think it was in Sudan. Yeah, that thing was bad. It's just an ugly picture to see. And people out there shooing, trying to get them to go away. And they just doing their thing. <laughs> Eating up everything. Mm-hmm. They coming to eat. I don't know as far as they, 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 they like food, plants. So they covered the face of the whole earth so that the land was darkened. And they did eat every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hill had left. And there remained not any green thing in the trees or in the herbs of the field through all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste. And he said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. This brother is at the altar again. And this time, not only is he confessing, he asking for what? Forgiveness. Now therefore forgive, I pray thee, my sin only this once, and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. Like, please forgive me. Pray for me. So he had the altar for a second time. Don't raise your hand out loud. How many of y'all did that before? <laughs> like the first time they happened. God, please forgive me. And he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. So Moses go and do it again. And the Lord turned a mighty strong west wind. Now some of you reading a literal translation, it might say a mighty strong sea wind. In most ancient cultures, even some modern cultures, that's how they give directions. Not just left, right, north, south, east, west. It's up river, down river. So a sea wind is from the Mediterranean Sea. And so he turned a mighty strong sea wind, which took away the locusts and cast them into the Red Sea or the Reed Sea. And there remained not one locust in all the coast of Egypt. So the wind blew all of them into the sea and no locusts remained. Said, but the Lord did what now? Hardened Pharaoh's heart that he would not let the children of Israel go. So God still holding him. And the Lord said unto Moses, stretch out thy hand toward heaven. So has our pattern broken yet? What's the pattern? Yeah, warning, warning, no warning. Warning, warning, no warning. And now we on the ninth plague, which should be no warning. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thy hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness that may be felt. Now that's deep. Because who's supposed to be the great God of Egypt? Ra is supposed to be the great god of Egypt. Pharaoh is supposed to be the son of Ra. And Ra is represented by what? Y'all don't know? That good. 
It's by the sun. Yeah. It's by the sun. It's you in. And now this ninth plague, he said, I'm going to black out the sun. And it's going to get so black that you can feel it. Yeah, that's weird. It's going to be darkness that you can feel. And what makes it weird, we got to pay attention to this a little bit. Because you can read it, and it don't seem that strange. But if you pay attention to the details, something odd was going on here. And it says, Moses stretched out his hands, darkness that could be felt. Verse 22, And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. So there was a wet darkness. He's using his words very carefully. Not a total darkness, a thick darkness. This darkness has mass to it. Like, what kind of darkness is that? That just seemed to be very strange. This darkness is heavy. And he keep going and said, They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. So for three days, he said, they couldn't see each other. Just think about that. Me and some are standing here six feet away from each other. And I don't know she's there. And it's to the point where y'all talking about not being able to fish no more, not being able to farm anymore. Your service did. These folks, we ain't going outside. <laughs> like, there's no need for us to remove. You said they didn't move from their place. They bedridden by darkness for three days. In this darkness is described as being thick, something that they can be felt. I don't know. I'm saying just pay attention to the story. Yeah, it does. It just it, get, it keeps getting weirder. Said so they saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwelling. Where did light come from? And I noticed, like I said, I don't think none of this is an accident. They had light where? It didn't say it was light in Goshen, as in the sun shining on Goshen. They had light where? Inside the dwellings of the Egyptians, there was darkness, so they couldn't see one another. Inside the dwelling of the Israelites, there was light. So it's a little deeper than they could just light a candle. Could the Egyptians light a candle? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So what is this going on here? What type of darkness is this that God is putting upon these people? Because normally when I first used to read going, it's just an eclipse. And God blocked out the sun. No, this is something deep and this is something heavy. This is something possibly spiritual. Because he specifies there was light in the dwelling of the Israelites in contrast to the dwelling of the Egyptians who could not see one another. They could see each other. But the Egyptians could not see. And they stayed home for three days. And they keep going. And Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Let your little ones also go with you. He didn't send word to Moses. Get out. Go worship. 
And Moses said, Thou must give us also sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice unto the Lord our God. Now Moses being greedy. Man, Moses being greedy. This man been asking for this one thing for all these chapters. Let us go. Let us go. Let us go. The brother said, all right, go. Get out. Hey, give us some food too. Go ahead. Moses said, we're going to go with our stuff and with this and with that. And he's saying, go. Now he's saying, you give us some stuff to sacrifice. Hmm? Mm-hmm. I can see that. Now, Pharaoh Buck and the sister, leave all your stuff. And Moses in 25, thou must also must give us also sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice unto the Lord our God. Our cattle also shall go with us. There shall not a hoof be left behind. For thereof must we take to serve the Lord our God. And we and we know not with what we must serve the Lord until we come thither. Like we going, we finna worship God. We don't know how we're going to worship until we get to where we're going. Where they going? What mountain? <laughs> Horeb. No, the Midianites is where he was there. Man. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go. See, if Moses would have just went, <laughs> Pharaoh probably would let them go. Well, you get to ask him. Before. All right, forget it. Deal off. <laughs> and Pharaoh said unto him, Get thee from me, take heed to thyself, see my face no more, for in that day thou seest my face, thou shalt die. He ain't playing no more games. Like, leave, get out of my presence. He trying to kill Moses. He playing it. If I see you again, I'm going to kill you. How many of y'all think Pharaoh mad now? It just ain't no battle of the wheels no more. This bro, he mad. He been defeated. And Moses said, thou hast spoken well. I will see thy face again no more. And that's a very odd place for Moses to respond. Like you told the truth. I ain't going to see you no more. Now how Moses going to tell him I ain't going to see him no more? When he still ain't got what he requested. And it's because this is the setup. In the transition to the last and final great play. All of these things were the build up. To humiliate Pharaoh. To devastate Egypt. And to demonstrate how great Yahweh is. And now he's finna give his final demonstration. But we can't let it sit as just a story. These are real people living their real lives. And all of the chaos that went on was a part of the judgment and the severity of God. The same God who we sing to, the same God who we worship, the same God who we claim we devote our lives to is this very God that showed up here in Bronze Age Egypt and rained terror on them. All because they was hard-headed and obstinate towards him. Y'all think he didn't fulfill his promise to Abraham yet? 
Because he told them. I'm talking about the, the prophecy. Your people are going to be afflicted for 400 years. And I'm going to judge the nation that afflicts them. Y'all think he did that yet? So he in the midst of it. So he up there saying, I've been judging Egypt a long time. <laughs> and he got this set up and it's finna transition to this pivotal point that ends this oppression. But we can't lose sight of the fact that these are real people. And this is a real judgment. So how many plagues is it? And we've seen the pattern. Two with a warning, one without a warning. Two with a warning, one without a warning. Two with a warning, one without a warning. But we learn when we go through this. When we see a pattern set and something don't fit the pattern is to do what? To make that one stand out and to highlight it. So with this whole setup that we've been going through with the book of Exodus, now we come into a plague that breaks the pattern. And it stands alone. That means this right here is the focal point. This is what he wants us to pay attention to. This whole thing that's about to go on. And it begins with a solemn warning to Pharaoh. You told the truth. You ain't lie. You ain't never lie. <laughs> I ain't gonna ever see your face again. How many of y'all already killed Pharaoh yet? And the question still, but y'all still ain't ready. Y'all some nice and kind people. It be assassination like them all. <laughs> Call me kamikaze. <laughs> but you got the setup. And in this setup, we're going to see the grandeur of God where salvation and judgment shows up in one fell swoop. And just like we saw this darkness seem to be some real and seem to be some matter, when we wrestle with this question, as we go into the last play, who kills the firstborn? And how does he do it? This is something we have to pay. Who kills the firstborn and how does he do it? How did he pull this death act off? And if you were an e Egyptian, what side of the puzzle would you be on? Because Pharaoh seemed to be losing. And just for my people who get down with historical stuff, we'll close with this. Because these are real people living their real lives. And if you want to read some extra biblical outside of the Bible stuff, there's this strange poem that shows up. Very ancient Egyptian poem. It's called the Admonitions of Ipuer. I think they spell that I-P-U-W-E-R. And it's this poet. And he tells this story about the destruction of Egypt. Now we know this don't have anything to do with the Exodus. How we know? The dates don't match. <laughs> who picked the dates? The folks who telling you that it don't match. But he gives this poem and he goes, it's a beautiful poem about the land being destroyed, about all the riches of Egypt being taken. And another reason we know that this is just a hyperbolic poem that can't be real is because he makes this strange statement that does not mean to make sense. Because he described the land as being in poverty. But slaves are rich. Like, that don't make sense. How can the land be in poverty but slaves be rich? 
And it's, it's, whole, it's, it's a lonely poem. It's, it's only a fragment. As you see pieces of it. But it's just an interesting read just to read that. But if you want to read and if you want to study, just know that it does not have anything to do with the Exodus. We know that off hand. It's just something interesting that may seem to correlate. If it's even true at all, because it could just be a poem. Could be like an ACDC song. It ain't real. It's just folks saying. A big Mike song. They just killed a whole bunch of folks. Like <laughs> That's what it could be. But we know who run this earth. Do y'all really believe that? Anybody got any questions? 